If you find yourself experiencing distress, discomfort, or a need for professional guidance while listening to our podcast, we strongly encourage you to reach out to a qualified mental health professional or counselor. Your emotional health matters and seeking professional help is a courageous step towards personal well-being. You are listening to Committed, an ongoing conversation about marriage, intimacy, relationships, and sex. I was just saying when we were having a conversation that my younger daughter was sick and it brought back deep feelings inside of me when she had to stay home from school. And I just wasn't ready for that. They've stayed home so many times sick from school. And I don't know what came up in me in that moment, but I felt very depressed. And when James got home, I was like, I am unwell right now. (laughs) Like I can't handle life. I just feel so down. And nothing had really changed. The only thing that I can think of is that Harley would go to school or she would go to preschool before kindergarten and it would be just Laurel and I home alone. And maybe it brought those feelings back of when I was a single mom and I was here alone with her and Harley was in school and Laurel was still home with me. That's all I can really think of. But I was really reconnecting to the, and because I've been out of the game for a while in this, I was really connecting to moms, whether working or stay-at-home moms, who are alone in their homes with children all day. You have little to no freedom. You can't just run out the door. You cannot just take a walk if you want fresh air. You cannot go in the bathroom and poop alone. You cannot take five minutes to yourself. You cannot eat a meal without someone wanting to eat anything, everything that you're eating. Although Laurel was sick, so she didn't want to eat anything. But it's just this heavy feeling of being needed so hard and not having a break at all and just not being able to have any like solace alone. So that was just challenging for me. And I I felt actually, and this is a good transition too, because I felt stuck in the emotion of it all. Like I was feeling very deeply when James got home. And so I unloaded it all and he just sat there and listened. And there was really nothing that he could say or do, but I was feeling stuck in the depths of that emotion, knowing that, hey, I was trying to kind of talk myself out of it. Hey, James is home. Taya, wake up, wake up. It's okay. You are making dinner. You're at the end of the night. The kids are going to go to bed. You're going to have some time alone. Everything's fine. Laurel's not sick anymore. Everyone's good. Tomorrow you're going to have normalcy. But there was something inside of me that was still struggling. And so I did a couple things. The first one I did is clean Cleaning is something that I love to do. It makes me happy. I love moving my body. I don't like just sitting. And that's another thing about being a mom and being at home and being alone with children. You are sitting doing nothing 
but you are so busy. It's like you can't talk to someone on the phone. Your kids will talk over you. You can't anything you try to do. I had multiple work items that I needed to get done. It, it, you feel crazy in your head. Like I can't pay attention right now. Like I have multiple things that I need to pay attention to at once almost. And your productivity just goes down. And so it's hard to focus. And so I cleaned, I did some cleaning and I also worked out. I've been really into weightlifting lately and doing full body workouts. And that makes me feel really good inside my body. So I did those two things. But the reason why I wanted to record this podcast today is because I had a client say to me, and people have said this to me so many times before, when I'm asking them to feel their feelings, okay, they're feeling really deeply, they're feeling loss, abandonment, just sadness, loneliness, those those emotions that come over us when we're struggling, I want the feelings to stop. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I want to feel differently. And when I was hearing this, I was going back to the time when I was at home alone all the time with the kids, single mom, and I was feeling this deep loneliness. I was feeling the abandonment. And it felt so overwhelming to feel like I was in this deep, dark place all of the time almost. I I had to pretend that I was happy. I had to put a fake smile on when the kids did something cute or funny. I didn't feel joy in my body, not because of them, but because of what was going on for me. And so I deeply resonated with this client when they said this. But I also knew deeply within my soul that the only way to get out is to go through. And so I wanted to talk about it today because I know how hard it is to feel emotions that society deems negative, even though emotions are not negative or positive, they're just are what they are. But I know how hard it is to then have someone tell you, well, you need to stop trying to stop. You need to allow yourself to feel the full range of the emotion. If you need to cry, you have to let yourself do the crying. If you're feeling dark inside, you have to let yourself feel the darkness truly and acknowledge it and ask yourself the questions of how do I feel in my body right now? What are the physical sensations that come up from this? What are the thoughts that are going through my head? Like recognize those. And then in tandem with that, my recommendation, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this as well. In tandem with that, my recommendation is to pursue hobbies, interests, activities, events, that bring you joy genuinely. Don't stop yourself from trying to, f- to, from feeling what you're feeling, but also do those things. And eventually your body will naturally come back into more of this neutral place. And it's interesting because I was discussing with Harley at bedtime. She was asking me about my tattoo. So For any of the listeners, I have a tattoo on my arm. 
It's a large cluster of flowers. It's almost halfway down my arm. And it represents a pregnancy that I lost, a baby that I lost. And so I decided to get a tattoo to represent that baby. And many times people will ask me, they'll, you know, I love your tattoo. I love the flowers. What does it represent? You know, is there a meaning behind it? And the flowers come from one of my favorite midwifery books. And they represent the baby that I lost. And so I was talking about that to Harley and I, I was explaining to her that, you know, when you get a tattoo, it's on your body forever. And so it's hard to kind of make a choice at one point in your life. And then you, you know, you can't just decide later that you don't want it. I said, technically you can, but my arm would never look the same if I had the tattoo taken off. Nor would I want it to be taken off, but I just find sometimes that certain outfits I want to dress more conservatively or I'd want to have a certain look and my tattoo gives me a certain look, but that's also the judgment that I have on myself and that's for another episode, I guess. But I was talking with her about grief. She said, I feel scared when I was describing to her that, you know, I had lost a baby and I said, oh, that feels scary to you. I said, like, sad. And she said, she shrugged. She said, I don't know. And I said, well, yeah, you know what? It was very sad. And I could see how you would feel scared because that that was a loss. It was something that I was was counting on, that I believed in, that I was excited about. And then it was taken away from me without any of my control. And I sort of explained it in a way that a kid could understand it. And I felt very sad about it and it did feel scary. But then over time, I came back to neutral and I felt okay again. And so I just think that all of that connects to having these deep, dark feelings and having them feel so incredibly uncomfortable, but just having to go through them and allow them to run their course with awareness, because I do think there's a difference between people who are in a place where they're identifying as a depressed person and they're attached to that identity and they don't want to get out, even if they say that they want to get out, they don't actually want to. I think there's a difference between that and I'm just struggling so much and I'm putting work in to try to figure out what's going on, but I don't think I'm having success. For those people, I recommend those two things in tandem. Allowing yourself to feel, allowing the deep vulnerable feelings to come up, being your vulnerable self and not trying to hide that or be something that you're not in the moment, but then also taking the action of pursuing what brings you joy or figuring that out if you don't know already. And that naturally you start to come back to neutral, whatever that is for you. Because for some people it's excited, happy, you know, lots of energy. Like I'm more of a high energy, can be more of a high energy person. But also for some people it's just content. Like I'm just, I'm good. So. (laughs) Wow. There's a lot going on there. Yes. So I guess what is the what is the question to me? It's like how do how do I handle the bad feelings? 
Yeah. And or your thoughts on what I just said, because I don't think that I have all the answers. I have certain recommendations for my clients Mm -hmm. and I've had certain, the way that I work, as you know, is I have professional recommendations based on my education and professional experience, but then I also pull from my personal experience so that I can relate to my clients and help them feel like humans because I think that it can be really challenging for people. I've heard from many of my clients that when they've gone to see a professional or clinician and they're just talking about the it's sort of, it's very one-sided. It's just hard to connect and and create change in themselves. But when they realize, oh, I'm sitting across from someone who has been through something I'm going through, or they have felt these certain feelings before, and this is how they got through them, it can be helpful. So yeah, I don't claim to know it all. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. I don't claim to know it all either, but... <laughs> I do have at least some experience in this in the last year because um, for the last 20 years or so, I've been overall, over the last 20, 25 years, I've been fairly miserable. Um, I would say I developed a depression in 1999, just kind of came out of nowhere. And I was pretty much depressed for the next 20 some years including into earlier this year. And it would come and go. Some days are okay. But it was this lingering depression. It's only been in the last few months that I've really been able to turn it around. And what I did, similar to what you said, first and foremost, exercise is the best medicine. If you can, if you're not you know, disabled, but get out there and walk, go run, jump rope, hit a rowing machine, lift weights. I love lifting weights. I'm starting beach tennis next week here in LA. Can't wait to start. Um, go hiking a lot. It's a great thing about Southern California. And I just feel fantastic when I get back. For me so far, nothing feels better than going than working out for the first hour or two or even half hour. But like as soon as I wake up, or within an hour or so of waking up, it just gets my day off to the right start. Second thing that I had to uh, recognize was was extending my depression was alcohol. Um, I was a heavy drinker for the last, how old am I, 42? I was a heavy drinker for the last 20 some years um, because when I was growing up, as soon as I turned 18, drinking was just kind of what you did. It's, it's a Friday night, you go and have beers with your friends and maybe five, six, seven beers, and then you pass out and order pizza or something. But drinking was like, was an activity. It wasn't, it was just something you would do. And the goal was to get drunk. Now, when I was younger, you know, everyone, when they're 22, 23, they could get completely hammered and then be off to class or work the next day. And you wouldn't think twice about it. But the older that I got, hangovers got increasingly worse, like worse and worse and worse to the point where a hangover for me hangover for me now is almost 2 days and i literally was driving back from vegas the other day 2 to 2 or 3 days ago and i on the way home i bought two canned seven one was a sauvignon blanc and one was a sangria 
And when I got home at 10 o'clock at night, I was just exhausted. And I was like, let me just have these two. It's, I haven't had alcohol in a month or two. It won't hurt me. I was wrong. Then the next morning, I felt like a horrible, worthless piece of humanity. Like physically in my body, I felt terrible. And my, my thinking was, was corrupt. I could feel like the poison of the alcohol inside my body. And I felt miserable for the next 36 hours. It lingered into the day after. So I think in the last few months, I've become increasingly aware of how sensitive I am to alcohol at this point in my life, which is weird because like two years ago, I would still get drunk and I feel miserable the next day, but I would just keep going through it. And at some point in the last few months, I realized personally that I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but I certainly have used alcohol, not for fun, but for drowning out those feelings that I didn't want to feel. That was kind of a game-changing experience for me, separating the recreational component of alcohol from I'm using this as a tool to not have to feel those things. There's a third thing I realized in the last six or seven months I was doing to also numb out my emotions, numb out my feelings. And that was watching a lot of Netflix and Hulu and HBO and all the things and streaming and streaming and streaming. I would stream movies and television shows sometimes for seven or eight hours a day. And I had this big comfy recliner. I would binge through Breaking Bad or whatever TV show. And I didn't realize it until I was talking with a friend, but when you're watching a when you're watching movie or TV show, you're kind of like disconnecting from your limbic system. You're kind of disconnecting from reality. It's a different form of detaching from what your reality is. And it, and as soon as I, I think two or three months ago, I killed off my Netflix account. I'm working off some other ones right now. But the day I killed my Netflix account, I came home and after dinner and everything, it was like 6.30 at night. And I was thinking, God, I what am I going to do? Like I, I have to be with myself for the next few. I can't drink. Um, I'm in a new city where I only have a couple of friends. Um, it's cold outside because this was, it was still like, it wasn't summer yet. And I can't watch Netflix. I mean, I guess I could like read a book or something, but uh, I, I remember thinking this is going to be very uncomfortable being with myself. And it was, and I, I had to get used to being, comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that took a while for me to do. But um, there was there was one other thing that I noticed only in the past few weeks about feelings. And I've been practicing with this over the past few weeks. But depending on the situation, some of my feelings were actually coming from, I would call hallucinations in my mind. I was there were symbols in my mind that were causing me to feel bad in my body. Um, one example I could say was I was watching a bunch of news and YouTube channels about like economics and the recession we're possibly going to and the Fed increasing rates. And my mind was thinking, oh, God, the economy is going to go bad. Russia is going to destroy Ukraine. We're going to go to world war. Um, I'm going to be in the streets with all the other homeless people in LA. I'll fit right in, I guess. There's so many of them. But, you know, seriously, like I was legitimately worried about going bankrupt and 
having to escape to South America, some some place where I would be safe. But these were these were just this was a hallucination in my mind that I generated, but it had a physical, visceral impact on me. It, it affected my mode, my feelings, such to a bad point that I that night I remember thinking I need to go drink because I don't want to feel this anymore. And so it was after talking with a friend of mine that I was able to realize, hey, you know what? That's just a hallucination. That's not actually reality. I have a superpower that I can cause a visceral impact on my body in reality based entirely upon a sensory rich hallucination in my mind. But I could also change the script. I could change the story of whatever that narrative was. And so instead of focusing on the end of the world, basically, I was thinking about being on a beautiful beach in Hawaii with a particular girl I'm thinking of and drinking margaritas and watching the sunset and frolicking in some laguna with a, with a waterfall in the distance at night. It was a beautiful, beautiful hallucination. And I instantly just felt a lot better. I, was, I remember thinking, oh, I feel, I feel good now. I feel relaxed. I feel, I feel fantastic. So in the past few weeks, I've had to catch myself when one of those hallucinations comes up and starts to negatively affect my body. I catch it like that. And I'm like, oh, nope, nope. I don't want to, I, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to feel that. I caught you. I got you. And I think it's like probably my unconscious defense mechanism trying to protect me from, from extinction basically, but I caught it and I was able to change the script on it. So that's one extra thing I've been able to do in the past few weeks. And it's been quite empowering, but beyond the exercise, beyond the quitting the alcohol, going to sleep early, uh, stopping the Netflix, um, changing the script whenever I was noticing something was actually a, a hallucination was causing my feelings to be bad. Um, pursuing things of joy, just like you said, it's, it's, it's similar to what I just said about changing the script because you're actively seeking out things that, that make me feel good in the real world, not just in my brain, but like going swimming or going for a hike or lifting weights. I love lifting weights. It feels so good when I finished a workout session and I'm just physically filled with all of these yummy chemicals and I want to just take on the rest of the day. Um, some other examples for me beyond athletics would be uh, writing. I'm trying to write a book, as you know, and I write for maybe 10 or 15 minutes a night, but it's something that I enjoy doing. And so and it makes me feel good. And so the, the lesson for me here is it's so simple. It's like first grade level. It's, it's stop doing things that make you feel bad, drinking alcohol, binging Netflix for hours, and pursue things that make you feel good. Exercising, journaling, going for a walk, watching the sunset every day. If you're by a beach or something, it's gorgeous and it's free. Those two things and then... Similarly to what I was saying in my mind, the feelings that those hallucinations were causing, it was isomorphic to things that, that do not bring me joy and things that do bring me joy. So instead of the narrative and the hallucination about the end of the world, pursue the narrative and the hallucination about being on the beach with that wonderful woman. And you can... If you, can, if you can feel that, if you can visualize yourself in some fantastic situation, some fantastic hallucination, 
it can have an immediate impact on your feelings right now. And anyone who's listening to this can do this. Just pause it, spend a minute or two thinking of anything. It could be something juicy and sexual. It could be something as simple as eating a beautiful cake with a little bit of ice cream or whipped cream on top. And you can just focus on that. You can breathe into it and basically put yourself into that hallucination. And you can immediately, at least I can, I can immediately feel the difference in my body. And that is basically changing the feelings that I'm having. So for me, yeah, there's, there's an old Greek expression, which is when life takes you to the left, go left. So if you, do, if you are in a situation where you're exhausted, like you're working 18 hours a day and you've got a couple of kids and you just, you're just burning out, I mean, that's legitimately caused by life conditions. You are burning, you are burning your engine pretty hard. So that, that feels like it's a solvable problem. It's something where you, if at some point you can have a break, but I understand with children, there pretty much is no break for the next 18 years or so. Um, but at some point they will get older and, uh, you know, at some point you will take a vacation. Um, but honestly, when it comes to children, I don't have a fucking clue what I'm talking about. So I'm going to pause there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say those are my current, those are the current tools I have in my, in my arsenal for changing for, for not only dealing with feelings, um, like feeling the feelings that come into me. Just like you said, that's, that's difficult. And that's why I was using the alcohol and watching Netflix. I didn't want to feel those feelings. And then after sometime in the past few months, it was probably after my MDMA therapy session, I started thinking, okay, I really, really want to feel these feelings. I welcome the feelings in. Just they're part of me. Let's go with it. Let's feel them. The only way out of the storm is through it. Um, and stop doing things that numb those feelings and then pursue things that bring you joy. That's it. Mm. Yeah. And it's, you make it sound so simple and I wish, I wish it was simple, but both of us know it's not, it's so hard and it's so easy to talk about. And Ooh. you brought up a few things that I think are really important. And so I wanted to highlight those. One of them is the addiction, the topic of addiction. And so we most commonly think of alcohol. Okay. And so what's happening when we're drinking, we are able to dissociate from those feelings. We are able to shove them down, pretend that they're not there, feel something different, not feel essentially when we drink. And so when we're talking about pursuing hobbies that you love or going to an event or going to a concert, doing something that you know, Marie Kondo says spark joy. It just makes me think of her when I say spark joy. But when we're doing something that sparks joy, the idea is not to distract ourselves the entire time from the feelings. Mm -hmm. It's to in tandem do the thing that makes us feel good while also allowing ourselves to be in our natural state of sadness, depression, despair, whatever it is that's coming up for us, 
because we cannot just ride our bike every single day and then say, okay, hey, I did the thing that makes me feel joyful because what's going to happen is when we get into that next relationship, let's say it's over a breakup or something like that, those issues are going to come up relationally. That grief is going to then come up. Those fears and insecurities are going to wreak havoc on our relationships if we don't fully feel the feelings and grieve what we needed to grieve and do the things that spark that joy within us. So you were talking about Netflix and Hulu and HBO, watching all of those shows it's just as harmful as drinking alcohol if what you're doing is dissociating from the feelings while you're doing those things, right? It's different than being mindful and saying, it makes me feel great to talk with a friend or go out for coffee to this really awesome coffee place I love or create artwork. It's It's wonderful if you can be introspective and say, this is what's going on for me right now and I'm intentionally choosing to do this because it brings me joy while also accepting myself for who I am and where I'm at at this point in my life right now. So that's what can be challenging for people about it. They want to not feel the feelings they're feeling. Um, Yeah. And then – yeah, the other you you were saying hallucination and that kind of brought up this telling myself a story that phrase that we use, right? Mm-hmm. I'm telling myself a story that the world's going to end and XYZ is going to happen and I'm going to be out on the streets when we're I think a little farther along in our healing process when we have some kind of grip on things and some of my clients come to me having somewhat of a grip on things. And some people come to me just completely a mess. And that's okay because at some points in our lives, all of us are a mess, right? And I always remind people that like, hey, you know, they're like, I'm I'm just a mess right now. I'm so disheveled. And I'm like, okay, that's great. That's fine. I still accept you for who you are. And I've also been a mess in my life. So hallelujah, we're both human here. But when we're a little farther down in our healing process, we can say, I'm telling myself a story that I'm never going to find somebody that loves me as much as my, you know, mom who passed away did. And that's not, that's just a story that I'm telling myself. And that's not reality. Mm -hmm. It's not grounded in reality. And Mm -hmm. that's a part of, you know, I think part of dialectical behavior therapy when we're when we're sorting through our emotions and we're noticing what's coming up in us because we want to jump at something so intensely that we're feeling, we want to go at it in this really intense way. But to say, hmm, okay, here's a story that I made up. Let's see, let's see what the reality, like, is this reality or is this just a story? So I think when we're a little bit farther in our healing process and we can, we're semi- you know, grounded, we can say, okay, I know that this might not be the truth right now. Right. And then the third thing is meditation. I think 
having when you also when you said hallucinations, what that brought up in me is the ability to choose a tool that can help you in these moments where you're feeling all over the place and you're feeling, you know, maybe you're feeling deeply depressed or just very down or sad. Okay, I'm feeling really dysregulated right now. Here's a tool so I can choose to fantasize about something that makes me feel good inside. That can be similar or the same as meditation. Sometimes it's guided. Sometimes you are just a self-guided meditation where you choose to take the time to tune into your body and work on relaxing yourself. And you can kind of get control back when you're feeling out of control. So one meditation that I pretty much always recommend to my clients is a meditation that a shaman that I used to go see recommended to me, and it's called mirror meditation. And so if you're listening to this, you can utilize this meditation when you're struggling with anything. When you're struggling, you sit in front of the mirror and I have everyone set their timer to start because it can feel very agitating to say, how long do I just have to sit in front of this mirror for, you know, an uncharted period of time, but set your timer for like five minutes to start or 10 minutes if you can tolerate that. And then just look at yourself in the mirror. And I like to kind of stare in one eye and just breathe like normal breathing. And it's really beautiful to see yourself because often we just so quickly glance in the mirror and, you know, fix our hair or fix our clothes or judge ourselves very quickly and then walk away. Or some of us will avoid looking in the mirror completely. Mm. And I think it's really helpful to really view ourselves and use this as a tool to come back to center. And it also does take practice. All meditation takes practice. But it is one tool that it took me 10 years to actually start to practice this tool because my naturopath told me, you need to meditate for so, so long. And when I finally started to take on meditation as a daily practice, when I was feeling very dysregulated, I started to realize how powerful the practice actually is. And so that's one of those things that you could say, you know, it brings me joy to meditate. It makes me feel peaceful inside my body. And so while I'm feeling all of these crazy feelings or dark feelings, I'm going to utilize meditation here to come back to center and come back to neutral. So it's a tool that you can use on the journey. It's a great tool. A lot of evidence about the, the, the efficacy of meditation well, people are like, just give me a supplement. Just give me a pharmaceutical. I don't want to take the time. And I was one of those people. I said to my naturopath, don't you have something for my adrenals? Can't I just take more of my adrenal supplement? And she's like, you can, but then you can also just use meditation. And I'm like, okay, okay, but I'll just take a higher dose of my adrenal. <laughs> <laughs> just keep upping it. 
just keep upping it, you know, just eventually. But what I actually found was that it wasn't effect as effective as meditation. And it's really hard for people to believe. But like you said, there is a lot of evidence-based research now out there showing how effective meditation is. But the problem with America and Americans is that we want something quick and easy and we'd rather pay money than spend time. Yeah. And meditation fucking sucks. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It doesn't suck to get started, to when get you get into the to get started. Right. It sucks. It sucks to get started. It's like, why? I could be cleaning the kitchen or sleeping or watching a TV show or working out. Like everyone thinks, especially, I was told this once, the asana, the movement part of uh, yoga is all there to get to the savasana or shavasana, depending on what yoga you practice. The movement part of yoga is only there to be able to actually get to the dead corpse pose, which is where you are literally laying there like a dead corpse, relaxing. And if not for, I don't know if I said that right, that's the reason that we do the movement piece in yoga, though, to relax. To prepare so, the body for meditation. Exactly. Yeah, to prepare the body. And so we really don't need that piece, but it is almost granted to us as a gift. However, what do we as Americans do? We say, let me do the movement piece and then let me get up and leave early, or let me just be half asleep in my shavasana and then, you know get up and go because I have so many things to do today. Mm-hmm. But the, the movement piece is there so that we can relax and rest. And it's so hard for many of us to rest because we equate our worth and value with how productive we can be. Right. Which is also just a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious how many people are actually being judged by others for how productive they are, or if it's just an internal perception that we project outward. And I know that I'm certainly guilty of this, but when someone in the last 15 years would ask what I would do for a living, I would say, and I would spend a minute or two describing it, and it was almost like me beating my chest and saying, oh yeah, I'm I'm really productive, I'm doing good things. But as I got a little bit older, I started realizing that no one, no one really cares. Like, if you see, if you're a decent human being and you're kind to others, um, like, no one really cares. The only people that care are you. Other people are so obsessed with their own lives. They're not. They don't have time to care about you. They literally don't have time to care about you. They can barely survive on their own, like you were saying. So, that's something we have to remind ourselves of. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know too, as, as a mom, and I believe other moms sometimes feel this way as well, but I certainly did. I would always make sure to say, well, I work in finance. I'm just taking some time or I'm just, I'm working part-time right now. Like I wasn't as valuable because society doesn't deem you as a human as valuable if you just take the time to be a mom. 
And like that, that is literally a career. And when I talk to other people about it nowadays, I say, do you also work outside of your home or do you, are you a, you know, mom? Do you do mom as your job? Like I kind of make, I kind of dance around my words, but I make sure to clarify, like, I know that staying home with your kids is a job. It's a very hard job. It's harder than going to work every day. Like at the end of the day, after I see my clients, I don't feel depressed. And at the beginning of this podcast episode, I told you how depressed I was. And I was Mm. still, I still did a lot. I worked for a couple hours. I ran some errands that I had to get done, all with a sick child in tow. And moms, white butts, sit there and watch kids play with random toys and, and talk to children who are saying virtually nothing to them because they're not as they're not as intelligent as adults are. Actually, I think kids are more intelligent than adults, but you're articulate. not able to have adult conversations. Yeah. Articulate. Yeah. And, and so it's just, it's a very hard job. And so I make sure to say when I'm speaking to a mom that I know that what they're doing is a job. And I, and I almost want to say, are you, are you doing an additional job outside of the home? Cause I already know what you're doing inside of the home and that's hell of a lot. And it's a 24 seven job, but I know for myself that I felt this shame is like, is that all you're doing? Like I'm doing so much like at work when I was at my job years ago, when I was in office before I was doing this work, I was doing less than what I was doing as a, when I became a mom, when I became a mom, I was doing so much more than I was doing at my office job. It was nuts. So. Yeah. When you leave the office job for the day, generally, that's it. It doesn't follow you home. Right. Yeah. For some people it does, but it's like yeah. you get a benefit out of it. You get paid. You get uh, promotions. You get a, a review. You get yeah. health insurance. Like with kids, you need a job to do your job. Yeah. You, you, nobody thanks you. They complain. And then when they get older, you know what they do? I guarantee you my kids are going to drag me into therapy and they are going to tell me all the ways that I messed them up. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, absolutely, you are right. And like your spouse often doesn't see everything that you're doing. Sometimes spouses are rude and demeaning. I mean, devaluing many times people that stay home with their children, but it's mostly women. There are some dads that are doing it. Um, but yeah, if you trust that you are where you need to be in the current moment and you employ the tools that you need to employ in order to move forward, you will come out, you will come out stronger. You will come out better. And um, I think happier. I think you need to know darkness to know light as well. So, All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Good night, everyone. 